Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And uh, welcome. I wasn't sure my voice was going to be there. <laughs> welcome. It's uh, July 15th. It's a Wednesday. And uh, in this horrific uh, year of uh, pandemic, 2020. Uh, before we get into, oh, well, it's all bad, isn't it? Not necessarily here. Um, I'm looking for something. Um, something, I thought I had something good here. No, I guess not. <laughs> but I've got something, well, we'll get to something that's sort of delightful. Um, I want to start, though, by uh, talking about the fact that we who live in Pittsburgh are about to lose some of the some of the reporters who have uh, been informing us um, for decades. Uh, The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, as we know, uh, is, has been taken over (laughs) by, I, Oh God, I've got to I've got to back up and just stop. Fourteen more uh, employees at uh, the PG are are essentially gone. You will see final pieces uh, from them. The they're trying to buy out as many. Uh, people as they can, and uh, I believe 14 more employees at this shrinking paper in this shrinking newsroom will leave in this latest round, and um, some are, are folks that you might not no, and others are people that it's going to be hard to live without. <laughs> I mean, these are people who are excellent reporters. Uh, Paula Reed Ward, who has uh, been a guest on this program, uh, she has been covering the uh, courts here for almost two decades, and uh, she's just a top-notch reporter. Uh, The features editor, Sharon Eberson, she has a final piece uh, in the paper today um, in which she uh, indulges in the wonderful memories of the incredible artists and people that she has been able to to interview you in her time and sharing some of what was special in those interviews um, to her with us. The Washington bureau chief, Tracy Moriello, uh, 
I uh, I gotta tell you, this hurts. Brian O'Neill. That's the one that's gonna get me the most because his pieces, his commentary, his columns um, over the last thirty years plus, I believe, have have been just uniformly. I mean, it, it's to do three columns a a week is a gargantuan task. To have something to say, then to say it well, to often have to do the research on it, I can't imagine. And he, I can count on probably one finger the number of his columns that didn't measure up. (laughs) Thousands and thousands. Uh, Just an incredible writer and such a good human being. Um. I let him know that I was going to be bereft. Um, and I, I I told him that what, to me, uh, typified his work was his humanity and often his humor and also his humility. And humility is not a virtue that you very often see in people whose job it is to have opinions and uh, to spout them off. Um, Humility. And I just am going to be bereft, wondering what it is I'm not knowing um, in in all cases here, because as these reporters understand that you and I will know less and less about this place that we call home. So I, um, Brian was uh, kind enough to respond to me. Um, and I'll share it with you because it's it's just you know in indicative of everything I've just said <laughs> about him. Uh, he says, "Thanks so much. You were among the first peers I met when I arrived. You told me I looked a bit like your first husband." That was my last husband, Pooh. You told me I looked a bit like your first husband, but wouldn't hold that against me. And you have been true to your word. (laughs) Um, I have admired your passion, too. He says you're still calling them as you see them, fearlessly. Me, he says, I'm heading for a hammock but I'd like to share with you what I've told a gratifying number of equally kind readers these past couple of days. So he now shares with me something that he has clearly written to a lot of people who wrote him appreciations of, uh, of his work. And this little story that he chooses to share 
um, is so lovely. He says this, when I was a young man, I would read the New York Daily News because it carried the greatest one-two punch of columnists in newspaper history, Jimmy Breslin and Pete Hamill. Each roamed the streets to tell tales of the city three times a week. Decades later, I met each of them in turn when they came to Western Pennsylvania and was finally able to tell them how much their columns meant to me. I know they still appreciated hearing it, but I'm not sure they appreciated it as much as I do today. Knowing that I was a part of my readers' lives means the world to me. We both travel the same terrain, and being able to tell you a little something about our slice of the world that you didn't know, that I didn't know before researching a particular column, was a reason to go out the door each morning. I'll come up with other reasons to venture out now. But please know I appreciate your words today in just about the same way you appreciated mine. Peace to you and yours. And I have gotten emails from you, a number of you, saying, oh, no, oh, no, Brian O'Neill, no. So what a good guy. But it takes us back to this uh, frightening reality of the loss of our newspapers throughout the country. And um, I am, this is just another thing that is happening that while it is happening, we often don't note it. And then before too long, we realize that we've lost something incalculable. And that is what is happening now to us as the newspapers in our country disappear. I was, I was beyond miserable to see that McClatchy uh, newspapers that uh, include some of the some of the greats, great iconic newspapers, that McClatchy newspapers, um, I guess, are about to be taken over by these repulsive hedge fund folk who buy up businesses that are on their knees and they finish them off. They take what money there is to be had from the buildings that these papers inhabit to uh, the equipment they let people go, shove them out, 
they often take over papers that have already seen half of their staff disappear in an effort to keep the paper going. And these SOBs come in and take the rest. Take it down. And a city without a newspaper, without an everyday reliable newspaper staffed by smart, dedicated, passionate journalists whose job it is to keep an eye on what is happening in the city. The biggest job, keep an eye on what the people in power are doing in the city. Government power, private sector power, keep an eye and hold their feet to the fire. And this pandemic is finishing off. Um, a lot of papers. And papers that were already struggling, obviously, because their main source of revenue had been taken from them by Facebook, by Google, by Craigslist. They're advertisers. And that was something that papers never figured out how to how to remedy. But they were generally hanging in. But in the last 12 years, newspapers in this country have uh, lost about half of their jobs. Uh, those are all human beings whose job, as I said, was to educate the citizenry. So now with the pandemic, there are more job cuts and now more uh, ownership like McClatchy is selling off to people who are vultures. That's all they are, vultures. So even if a city is left with a newspaper, it is left with a newspaper that is a hollowed out shell of what it had been just 10 years ago. And more importantly, as we lose these truth tellers, these uh, watchers, these people whose work allowed us to be an informed voter, Americans all over the country living in cities who've lost their papers or whose papers have been debilitated. They'll be left with perhaps the only source of information they have about local politics, about what businesses are up to, about education for their children, all of that will be gone. And 
history tells us that when local newspapers are debilitated or closed down, political corruption rises. False news proliferates. Political polarization increases. And voter turnout falls. So I know we're mourning a lot these days, but I I just want to be very clear that we all need to, in real time, uh, mourn the loss of news, local news. And if you think the local television stations are going to step up and inform you like you need to be informed, let me disabuse you of that very quickly. Where do you think television reporters generally, and I mean 90% of the time, get their news? They get it from reading the newspaper. Print reporters, believe me, were always mightily annoyed, to say the least, of seeing their hard work just scarfed up by TV reporters who would take it and run with it and often say things like, Action News has learned. Ha! Yeah, you read the PG. And TV News, given what TV News is, and their minuscule staffs, there's no way. They don't cover all the the county board. They they don't cuff they don't send reporters to cover they don't. That's the tough work. Committee hearings, uh you know, city council meetings, PWSA meetings. I mean, you would Who would want to do that? I know I never did as a reporter. But without the reporters there, God knows what's going to be going on. Because you won't. And I won't. And there will be much mischief afoot. So while we grieve the loss to us of uh, Brian O'Neill and um, these other wonderful reporters, understand that we are losing more than just their work. We are losing necessary information if we want to retain a democracy. So, isn't that depressing? I am so sorry. I can't help it. Okay, here's something that has nothing to do with anything. 
you know, I watch Turner Classic movies all the time, and and sometimes these newspapers, I mean these newspapers, excuse me, I'm sorry, I was just fiddling with newspapers. These these movies, (laughs) these movies are just delightful. But on the other hand, when you see how they informed, how the movies informed our senses of how things are or how people behaved or what constitutes beauty or all of that kind of stuff, it just never ceases to amaze me the impact of that kind of pop culture on us. And I, I, as a woman, you know, am, am, am watching. And what I see in regard to women, the portrayal of women. And, of course, these are all white women. They're all white women. And just focusing on their hair, um, when an actress in a a movie, woke up in the morning. Her hair was like perfect. And she had beautiful makeup on. (laughs) And let's say she's in a horrible fire later that day, or there's an explosion, or she ends up running for her life through a swamp with crocodiles like uh, you know nipping at her heels I'm here to tell you that her hair will still be perfect and her makeup untouched pregnant women in these uh, movies made in the 30s 40s 50s uh, showed no signs of being pregnant. They would say they're pregnant and they'd be, you know, wearing a size two dress cinched at the waist. When they would go off to have their baby, you would not hear a sound and then there'd be a baby. And then she would again be wearing a size two, of course. Whenever women, it seemed, were in a state of some, uh, I don't know, unhappiness uh, with the man in their lives, and if this scene were occurring in the bedroom, it seems that what women would always do is sit at a little vanity and start brushing their hair. Women in these movies are constantly like brushing their hair, which doesn't move. I am telling you, it doesn't move. And when you watch this, it's, it's funny now, but it isn't funny what it did to the heads and the psyches of all the young girls and women who have grown up thinking that because they wake up in the morning looking like holy hell, 
their hair a mess, tangled, that something's wrong with us. Just like so many young kids growing up in the 50s who would watch uh, Ozzie and Harriet or Father Knows Best would think, God, what's wrong with my family? Uh, so, okay, I'm not going to, I'm I'm sorry, I am in a state today, and I also have to tell you, I've been having some uh, medical issues, which is why I wasn't uh, here on Monday, and um, I am not going to be able to be here next Monday. I'll remind you of that again tomorrow, I hope, because um, I have to uh, have a test of sorts done. Okay, Um, and then I know in a few weeks there's another day where I have to have some procedure. (laughs) You know, when you're an old lady, stuff starts, you know, breaking down, coming apart and and things like that. So um, I I, I just spend a lot more time in the, uh, you know, getting maintenance. (laughs) So nothing, nothing. So as far as I know, that's going to like uh, kill me or anything. But yeah, I got, I'm having some issues. Okay. Um, you know, I read this story and I, I think what? So the national, what is that? NOAA, uh, National Ocean, Oceanographic, uh, blah, 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 blah. you know them? Uh, weather people. Why is it? Is is that the title of it? The national, you know how sometimes you can't remember the national oceanic, I don't even know how to pronounce, national oceanic and atmospheric administration. That's NOAA. Um, Anyway, NOAA in cahoots with the National Weather Service has, um, has this uh, citizen science app that you can use to report to them, of all things, some weather event that you are witnessing. Um, and and actually, that kind of you know real time uh, citizen meteorology meteorologist kind of report is something that they um, actually uh, appreciate, which is why they put the the app uh, out there. Um, this kind of uh, thing was um, was intended to uh, maybe help storm reporting uh, to essentially crowdsource uh, storm reporting. Uh, because as weather has been changing, has anybody noticed that? Um, these kinds of observations can be very helpful uh, in especially life-threatening severe weather situations, which can just pop up out of nowhere. Um, I think I told you once that I was talking to a, um, a commercial um, pilot 
And I said, have you noticed the weather? I mean, you're up there. Have you noticed the weather? He said, there is no doubt. We are like severe weather just comes out of nowhere these days, which it did not used to do. So that, you know, we might, as we take off, have obviously dead as to what we were flying into. But then, bango, something that no way uh, were we warned about. So I also understand that since fewer planes are in the air because the commercial uh, flights have been uh, have definitely uh, been lessened, um, the kind of reporting that pilots flying would regularly feed uh, to uh, the Weather Service and to NOAA, those are now missing. So NOAA begins to, uh, you know, re- rely a little bit not, on the, these kinds of um, reports. Well, guess what? And this is what I was trying to get to. <laughs> took me a while. Uh, that app is uh, temporarily uh, off. It's not working right now. Yet, why? Because it seems like these days nothing works because there are people out there, too many people out there, who seem to thrive and live for nothing more than to disrupt and ruin things. So the reason that this app has been suspended is because there's just been a flurry of absolute false reports so they take the app that was supposed to help everybody and they get into uh, you know something that is unusable except to create havoc and misinformation um and more than that they use it to spread hate How can a weather app spread hate? Well, it turns out that uh, users posted screenshots. Oh, Twitter users saw this and flagged it. On the site, people were putting out false flooding. Oh, we got a flood here in New Mexico. Uh Uh-oh big flood here in uh, Texas's Big Bend area. And as these people would stick these uh, points with a symbol, here we got a flood, here we have a flood, here we have a flood, so it's on a map. Guess what? And here's what Twitter users noticed. It created the shape of a swastika. We got a flood here. We got a flood, whoops, way up there. We got a flood over here. And if you put all that stuff together, guess what you get? You get a swastika. Now, these 
lovely people were not done yet taking this helpful and possibly life-saving app away from everybody. They went on to create false reports in, get this, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Tiananmen Square, and Auschwitz. They put in a hundred severe wind reports in Alabama, blah, 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 blah. And what is, you know, what is Noah to do? They had to shut it down. And it just seems like no matter what, there are these people who have to spread chaos, ill will, hate. <laughs> Bob says, all right, hey, step it up if you really want to depress us. Talk about the president's speech in the Rose Garden yesterday or a CBS News interview. Boy, are you not kidding. Wait a minute. I got some. Yeah, okay. I missed it. Thank God. Thank God. Oh, my Lord. Apparently, this was as close to total incoherence, the Rose Garden thing. Um, supposedly, it was a thing that was called to, uh, to talk about, uh, uh, I don't know, getting China for, for, um, for grabbing Hong Kong. And um, I guess he started out with that reading and then he went berserk apparently for over an hour um the reporting in the new york times is actually sort of funny if it weren't <laughs> so serious because here's imagine the plight of a reporter again trying to take down what um, this very important human being, the president of the United States, is saying so the, that she can inform uh, the readership. And um, here's what she, she, she flat out transcribed one thing that is emblematic of much of this display that he put on. I'm going to read it to you. It started with talking about cooperation agreements that the United States has with Central American countries regarding, you know, keeping a handle on illegal immigration, right? And here is the president's words. I'm going to try to read them in a way that makes that makes sense, but there is no way to do that because they, well, here I go. We have a great agreement where when Biden and Obama used to bring killers out, they would say, don't bring them back to our country. We don't want them. Well, they wouldn't take them. Come now with us. They take them. And someday I will tell you why. 
someday I will tell you why. But they take them, and they take them very godly. The is to bring them out, and they wouldn't even let the airplanes land if they brought them back by airplanes. They wouldn't let the buses back to the country. He said, we don't want them. And we said, no, but they entered our country illegally. That's the president of the United States. And then he had the gall to say that Joe Biden um, is not sharp. Um, someone said that his performance yesterday in the Rose Garden was uh, rambling verbal dysentery, which I think does sum it up rather well. He, um, the reporter says at one point, um, he weighed in on China and the coronavirus and the Paris climate change and crumbling highways, and then China again, and military spending, and then China again, and then the coronavirus again, and the economy, and energy, taxes, and trade with Europe, and illegal immigration, and his friendship with Mexico's president, and the coronavirus again, and then immigration again, and crime in Chicago, and the death penalty, and back to climate change, and education, and historical statutes, and more. We could go on for days, he said at one point. And it sounded plausible, says the reporter. <laughs> but she then goes on to say, at times it was hard to understand what he meant. Yeah, he seemed to suggest that his Democratic challenger, Joe Biden, would get rid of windows if elected and later said that Biden would, quote, abolish the suburbs. He said about the couple in St. Louis, who, by the way, he's intervening, apparently, according to the, the uh, governor of Missouri, he, who's very happy about it, says Trump is getting involved in the case of those poor, 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 whatever their names were, McSomethings. Um, and I just want to, um, McCloskey, I want to find this thing that Trump said and uh, about them, which is beyond belief. Uh, for anybody who saw the, the video, and I think most of us uh, did. Um, there, here it is. And when you look at St. Louis, where two people, they came out, they were going to be beat up badly if they were lucky. If they were lucky. They were going to be beat up badly. And the house was going to be totally ransacked and probably burned down like they tried to burn down churches. And these people standing there never used it, and they were legal, the weapons. And now I understand somebody local, they want to prosecute these people? It's a disgrace. So here he is saying that they were going to be beat up if they were lucky. 
their house was going to be totally ransacked and probably burned down. Have you seen the video? Nobody stepped a foot off the road. And when the protesters with guns pointed at them, they just kept marching. And the, and the people in charge of the march kept saying, just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. They were <laughs> in any way threatening any violence. The only threat of violence was coming from these friggin' white people with their guns. Oh, God, and speaking of guns, where did I see this? Here it is, Wall Street Journal. Background checks last month for civilians seeking a license to carry were the highest since the FBI began conducting checks 20 years ago. Background checks for guns in Georgia tripled last month versus the year before. And more than double in Oklahoma, in Illinois, in New York, and in Minnesota. Dealers say 40% of the sales are first-time buyers. And that this goes well beyond the usual scarfing up of uh, stuff and guns and ammo by the hardcore gun community. These are other Americans who think the best thing to do right now is to get a gun. One guy was interviewed. He's 57 years old. He said, I'm applying because I'm afraid the police aren't going to be able to protect me. So that's a direct result of the sense that if you defund the police, they aren't going to be there for me. So these are still white people thinking that the police are there to protect them. Black people may be getting guns because they think the police are there to kill them. We got like serious trouble. Headline, new buyers rush to acquire guns. What is America, the answer all Americans come up with for almost any problem? <laughs> Buy a gun. Buy a gun. Oh, my. So, um, here there's so much stuff guys and it's not it's not necessarily hey did you see jerry romoff that's the guy who's the ceo of upmc that charity over there in oakland and all around the world i believe university of pittsburgh medical center yes um did you see he got a a little bit of a raise uh, Jeffrey Romoff, I think I called him by the wrong name. He managed to only make $8.6 last year. And that is chump change for a guy like Jeffrey. It really pissed him off that 8.96 couldn't have been rounded up to nine. A nice nine million, right? 
Meanwhile, in the paper today that still exists, the Post-Gazette, it is reported that um, UPMC put out some bizarre report. Uh, Their chief medical officer, I believe, uh, noted that the kind of COVID cases that they're seeing appear to be a different strain and much less, um, I don't know, not as bad. And this statement has been just ripped apart all over the country. People, I mean, have said, what the hell are they saying? Where'd they get that? And efforts by reporters to get UPMC to give them the information that they got this shows that they don't really have it. There are no peer-reviewed studies that suggest it. And so you got to wonder, well, I know what's going on over there with UPMC and, um, and the virus and uh, wanting to minimize it in some manner. You'll recall that UPMC, when other hospitals were closing down early in this for elective procedures so that they could be ready, uh, UPMC refused to do that. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I've I've never been a fan, as many of you uh, know. Okay, scary thing that happened. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is in the hospital. Oh yeah 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 yeah. You know, she is one extraordinary human being. But you know, she's eighty-seven. She has beaten back. Horrible cancers, killer cancers. I mean, like the worst, like pancreatic uh, and liver. I mean, ones that where you hear, oh, you got that, you're dead, goodbye. She has beaten back cancer four times. Most, uh, most recently, I think was just, what, last year, there was another tumor on her pancreas. Okay. So she was hospitalized at uh, Johns Hopkins uh, yesterday. <clears throat> and um, one of the things I think about the reporting on her medical issues, it always seems very forthcoming. Otherwise, we wouldn't know that she's had these like seeming death sentences pronounced uh, for the last 20, 30 years <laughs> every other day, and she beats them back. Um, so unlike, you know, medical reports of why was, uh, why was the president over at Walter Reed the other day? Uh, what was that about where you'll be lied to, uh, Ginsburg clearly allows the truth out. And what this was apparently is she became infected, had an infection. She was, uh, had chills and, uh, a fever, Now, that's the kind of thing that would scare the bejeebers out of anybody in this time of COVID. And, uh, but they said, I guess, that's not COVID. He um, had an infection. And it was because of a stent in uh, her bile duct 
that had been placed there for in another procedure uh, had needed to be uh, cleaned out, was probably clogged in some way, and had caused uh, an infection. So she's there in the hospital getting that procedure done and uh, being on IV antibiotics to clean up the infection. Uh, you know, just two months ago, she was there for another infection. And this, again, around the same area. It was a gallbladder issue. Um, so this is an old, old body that is definitely breaking down now. And my God, pray for her. Because you know that if she were to die before this election in November, they will take that seat. They will take that seat. And I think her strength of will is such that I can just see her refusing to die. I can see her dying on November 4th, right? Okay, you mean I can whew, I can rest now. I made it. I can do it. Um, and that's assuming that these Republicans wouldn't take her seat even during the lame duck period when uh, Trump has been, let's say, voted out of office, but Biden has not been sworn in that period of November, December into January. Oh, God. So. Um... I'm being asked, have you seen the Trump ad about police? Yes, I have. It shows a 911 call going to voicemail, something like, press one for rape, press two for murder. And then anything else, we'll get back to you. And the wait time uh, for a call back is approximately five days. Yeah, we've seen it. I think we've all seen it, haven't we? Well, uh, you know, that's um, they're grabbing at whatever they can. And um, to use that um, defund the police phrase that could have been more artfully put, um, they will use that, sure. Just as that's the kind of ad, too, that spreads the fear that makes people go and want to buy a gun for the first time. Because if there's one thing that Republicans are, they're not good at much, but they are adept at a few things. Spreading fear is right there at the top. And, um, you know, along with voter suppression and, um, and enriching the already rich. All, it's just a really small skill set but they're very good within that very small skill set, really. Oh, dear, 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 dear. Hey, guess who's coming on tomorrow? Sally Wigan. 
we tried to have her on last Thursday, and last Thursday the show went down because of technical difficulties. We couldn't get it up, so to speak, and um, and so she's going to come tomorrow. And let's all pray that uh, things technologically, physically, and in every other way are are functioning, so we can have Sally on. That that'll be a you know might be a respite uh, from the norm. Although you know Sally is living in the same times as we and uh and is subject to the same fears and concerns and all of that. Hey, speaking of fears, another thing that happened um yes, hey, do you believe how quickly Trump folded on the um on the getting rid of all the all the university uh, foreign university students uh telling them that if uh well you know he folded on that in 2 seconds flat after a number of major universities sued him he just went down that was an interesting uh quick turnaround but you know since this crap just has to keep on a coming uh you did see this is a, a very sinister development given uh, how we have come to know this administration. Uh, the administration yesterday ordered hospitals, I'm sure you know this, to bypass <laughs> the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, with information uh, about how many coronavirus patients they have and how they do it and they did, are they alive? In other words, that important thing about numbers, which uh, Donald Trump is constantly concerned about, is numbers. And um, I guess because these numbers keep growing, they have decided that hospitals now should not send uh, these numbers to uh, the people that are supposed to get them, the Centers for Disease Control, <laughs> that has been, I mean, that's the way the system is. It's set up that the, the, the CDC uh, takes in public health data so that we can, uh, as a nation, formulate a response to public health issues. <laughs> but because the data makes Trump look like the inept creep he is, they now are insisting that hospitals not send those numbers to the National Clearinghouse, the CDC, for health issues, but to send them directly to the White House. Now, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen to those numbers at this White House? Well, it's not, I don't know if it goes directly to the White House, but it goes into the Trump administration, which, as we know, probably doesn't even have, maybe they have one, what, a computer set aside to take this information in. They're not going to do anything with this except bury it. And uh, that is, again, concerning, right? I didn't mean to scream at you. 
by the way, the the people at the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, they didn't know this. They learned about it the same way you learned about it. Yeah. Caught them totally flat-footed. And then, of course, when reporters went running to the CDC and said, my God, what's going on? You know, they uh, were afraid to say boo because um, they were not. This is the phrase you hear always in these uh, reports, because they were not authorized to speak to the media. Oh, dear. You know, on some level, the piling on is so uh, astonishing that it's what engendered that little bit of a laugh you just heard from me. It's not funny, obviously. It's frightening. But it is our new normal. And... uh, God, I hope I hope we can survive this. Hey, did you see? I mean, I know I was talking of about a month ago about how the, the frackers who Pennsylvania threw their lot in with, thinking that was, hey, rich is everybody. We're all going to get rich. How the frackers have been going belly up, one after the other, one after the other. And uh, here's the scary thing. They are abandoning their wells, not capping them, just picking up in the dead of night and running. So across this country, because these guys have been doing this in Texas and in Oklahoma and all these other places, uh, these energy fracking companies have been filing for bankruptcy but leaving their wells uncapped as I said and you know what that means these wells are leaking methane into the atmosphere and a front page New York Times piece a few days ago talked about as of last week there were in many locations of the country, these lethal, invisible gases spewing into the air. Invisible gases. By one estimate, this one company would have needed about $40 million to clean up its wells if they were to have been done the right thing and close things up, and then declare bankruptcy. But of course, that's not what they did. And these wells have to be cleaned up because they're spewing poison into the air. Which is going to create environmental disasters. And somebody's going to have to clean this crap up. Now, of course, it should be these companies. They cause this, but it won't be. Because laws are written for rich people.
people and corporations. And so they take refuge in bankruptcy. And they leave this environmental carnage to us, the taxpayers, to clean. And that is happening all over the country. To read in, you know, to read more about it is to only make yourself uh, go crazy. Because we're talking about an incredible number of companies. Um, And here's something just to add some salt to uh, the wound. Many, many of these companies, before they go bankrupt, (coughs) not only do they abandon these wells, they first, before filing, they give tons of money to their executives. So here's one, Whiting Petroleum. That's a major shale fracker in North Dakota. They filed for bankruptcy, but not before giving almost $15 million in bonuses to its top Chesapeake Energy, which we know and love, right? It declared bankruptcy last month, just weeks after it paid $25 million to a group of its executives. And they're leaving us the bill to clean up. I believe there's a caller. Caller, go ahead. <clears throat> Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, sorry I called late. I thought it was five till. But I'll be real <laughs> quick. All I wanted to say uh, is um, he can't tell the hospitals what to do. I mean, come on. They can release that information to anybody, really. You know. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 the guy's in, well... He's the president of the United States until he isn't, and he is. So I don't know. I'm not sure, but okay then. (laughs) Okay, goodbye. Sorry about the late call. Oh, don't be silly. Bye. I'm always waiting for my daily dose of horror from the Allegheny uh, Health Department, and here it is. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. You don't have to stay for it. Go, go. Get out while you can. All right. After yesterday's 300-some, ah, we're down today to just 246 new cases and five additional deaths. And in this latest number of cases, these 246, the ages range from two months, dear God, to 102 years old. But almost everybody is in their 20s because the median age is 34. 
and these young people are killing us. I was at my doctor's office uh, on Monday, and uh, he he said that there's obviously great concern that with these additional cases, he said he said what you got to look at is the hospitalizations because that's the indication of whether or not this is going to get out of control. Um, and I must say that today the new hospitalizations are just one. There were a number yesterday. But watch the hospitalizations because um, we are right now in not a good place. It's quite clear. And I want to thank all of those people who are so socially responsible. I want to thank all you selfless people who think your lives, I mean, whatever the whims are in your life in any 24-hour period, are greater than the actual lives, life and death, of other people in your community. You got to be a true SOB, a true sociopath, to only think of yourself. Well, I'm told there's a caller there, but geez, it's getting late. Um, I'll call her, go ahead, but make it fast because I got to go. Hello. Hello. You know, if you look, hello, if, if you look outside, it's a beautiful day. Yes, it is. And is that what you, you wanted to say? Long, and do you know how long it's been since the Pirates have lost a game? <laughs> That's true. That is a really nice thing to think about. You're right. I mean, got, I got to think of something, right? Right. I mean, it, it's um, I know, and I know you want to get off the um, I told you about how my company started now making people wear masks in the office as of a week and a half ago or something like that. How's that going? Um, one, one person's daughter is positive, and two more have been tested and are waiting. Mm. And so I think we've finally got traction. It has to happen to somebody for somebody actually to do the right thing. So, um, but... Anyway, I just it, it, I, I didn't know about Brian O'Neill. I'm glad you said something. I'm kind of like living in my own little la-la land, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, that's all sad. It's just well, he's sad. put in a, I mean, he's 64. And, uh, you know, they're offering these guys money to get, to get out. And he said, I've yeah. taken it. It's unbelievable. Um, but it's not just him. There's some really excellent reporters who have gone. I mean, all the people I really knew there, the reporters, are already gone. They're gone. Yeah, I know. I, I grew up in an era where being a reporter was like, it, it, it was, you know, it was right after Watergate and the, um, you know, the All the President's Men book and the movie and everything. And I think Lou Grant was, was out in the air and it was about report reporting. I mean, it was like, and a lot of people went that wanted to become journalists, and there was a yeah. lot of great journalists who came out in the '60s and '70s, 
and there are and 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 one thing Brian O'Neill was saying is like there's still a lot of good reporters out there. We just gotta hope we can we find a place for them. Um, I was reading this column, and it's also uh, it's a passage of time, I guess, is what I'm most. Well, there's great reporters still out there, and more coming up. But the problem is, they don't have any newspapers to work at. Yeah, that's the scary part. And these are folding; they're folding fast. And you know, with McClatchy now selling out to these vulture capitalists, um, it's hedge fund people. There goes a ton of great newspapers. I think it's the Kansas City Star, the Sacramento Bee. I forget. There's one in. Uh, um, it's just it's it's carnage, <laughs> and it's and it's uh, knowledge that we need and we're not going to get. And on that happy note, remember that it is a beautiful day and the pirates have not lost a game. Yeah. And I thank you for this time of the year. Yeah. It's amazing. Take your, take your dog for a walk. It's a beautiful day. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a good day. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Tomorrow, Sally Wigan will join me. We'll see what happens with that. I hope it's a little more uplifting. God almighty. Be well and toodaloo. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.